0: And Everybody gets it back again Don't take no mess At the Rose Garden Raise us their own fire They're what we desire The men in black Can't handle it Other teams Can't it How they win that game today There's just
1: one thing Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to on rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions available. I have a lot of big stuff coming up in the coming weeks for paid subscribers, so I would encourage you to get on board there. The podcast, as always, you can get on Apple, Spotify, Spotify, Google. We're going to be on YouTube soon. Not yet, but we're going to be on YouTube soon. So YouTube.com slash Rose Garden Report. If you want to pre-subscribe, there's going to be video elements to the show soon. And you can now get the podcast, along with all of your favorite radio stations, on the Odyssey app. Because And, you, and I posted a little bit about this on social media. I sent an update out on the website. So this has been announced and it's been out there. But we are now a part of of the Odyssey family. Odyssey, of course, is one of the main companies that owns a bunch of radio stations all over the country, including 1080 The Fan, which two of my former guests, Danny Morang, frequent guest, and Brandon Sprague, who's also been on the show, both of them work for that station. So a lot of connections there. And I'm really excited about the partnership for a few reasons. One, they're going to help me sell ads, which obviously is going to be good for me. But also, I'm going to have a lot more different stuff that we're going to be able to do as far as getting it out there to more people and putting it into different feeds and, you know, integrating it with different stuff with the radio station. It's not, it's not really going to change at all as far as like the actual content itself, because I still have full creative control over everything. I'm planning on just keeping on doing the same exact show that I've done since the beginning, which is what I like doing. And it seems like a lot of you also like, so the content is going to stay the same. It's just, there's going to be more video stuff maybe now, and you're going to start seeing clips of it pop up in more places. And there's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little bit more professional in that way. So I'm real excited about that. Uh, as far as this show, I just minutes ago recorded with my buddy, Chris Hine, who I, I've known for a long time, going back to when I lived in Chicago covering the Bulls, he was covering the Blackhawks for the Trib at the time. And for several years now, he's been in Minneapolis covering the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. Does a great job on that beat. And we're in the middle now of the, I guess, baseball-style or playoff-style series between the Blazers and the Timberwolves. Portland won the first game on Saturday night. We recorded this on Monday afternoon. The second game is in about three or four hours. So we don't really get into any of the preview recap stuff. You guys know me. I don't really like to do that. Whenever I have somebody on who covers a different team, I always like to do more just kind of big picture stuff about that team and maybe get their thoughts on the Blazers just as an outsider because I'm always curious to see how people who don't cover them day to day like I do view the team so we get into a lot of that stuff and obviously the timberwolves are one of the more interesting teams not only in the league but also just as it relates to the blazers because they you know they're in the same division they're kind of in the same tier of playoff hopefuls in the western conference and you know like portland there's just been a ton of organizational changes there with you know tim Connolly coming in as gm and kind of really remaking the front office and then also some pretty big on-court changes with the rudy gobert trade so Chris and I get into a lot of that stuff, and it's a really good discussion. It's it's really interesting to kind of get his perspective on some of the big picture stuff about where the Timberwolves are at, but then also some of the day-to-day stuff that maybe I don't know about because I'm not, you know, around the team every single day. So it's similar to, you know, if you remember, like, the last episode I did with Adam Mares who covers the Nuggets or the episode that I did with Sarah about the Jazz or the episode that I did with Gerald about the Suns, it's kind of similar to that my next episode i'm still working on nailing down a guest but we're going to get back to more like purely blazer focused stuff i think in the next couple of weeks but with the blazers being home a bunch and playing a bunch of teams that i think are interesting i wanted to do a little bit of kind of check-ins about some of these other western conference and division rivals for the team so you know that's kind of what today's episode is so let's get to that conversation right now How you doing, Chris? Thanks for doing this with me.
0: Yeah, I'm doing great. It's good to be here in Portland uh, on the road, traveling, covering games. It's, it's it's been great.
1: It's a couple. It's been a couple of days that you've been here in Portland. They're doing this is the first one of these that the Blazers have done here in Portland. The as I like to call them, the baseball series, which I think they started doing during the COVID-shortened season, not, not not the one that got shut down, but the 72-game right, season, yeah. where they just yeah. wanted to cut down on travel, so they started having teams play back-to-back in different uh, cities uh, to cut down on travel. But I kind of like it, though, because what it does is it it's sort of like a mini-playoff series because it allows the teams, you know, they play each other, especially the game against th- that these two teams played against each other the other night. Mm -hmm. they both teams now have a day that they can go in and make adjustments and say oh if we did this different especially that game was not a blowout that was a pretty close game the wolves led at half i am not going to do too much like game preview game recap stuff because we're recording this a few hours before we're going to go to the arena but the point being like these these baseball style series kind of let both teams kind of make adjustments and you know go into the next game differently so I've, I've, i've kind of found it interesting in that way
0: It it, it is, it's always intriguing to see like what they're going to do differently, how they're going to, how are they going to choose to defend Lillard tonight? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be any different, uh, a little different coming off of screens or or what have you, but yeah, it kind of affords you that, that time uh, to to make more in-depth adjustments or minute adjustments that you would make in a playoff series as opposed to, oh yeah, we're just in Portland now on a random Monday night. Um,
1: It's not the case right so it's been a couple it's been like what one week two weeks since uh they lost towns with the yeah about
0: increase. two weeks uh we've played five games uh since then yeah about two weeks so they had a couple br- little a little break in the schedule there uh, for a few days so yeah five been, games total
1: yeah and it's been really interesting to me to watch just how they've played differently since that happened because they were one of the teams i was the most intrigued by going into the season because you know they made that huge trade and just completely changed like the makeup of the roster and going with the twin towers thing with those two and then early on in the season it just looked like it was not working at all like the vibes were bad that those two were just not fitting well together but you know since towns went down they've been playing through rudy a lot more he was really good in the first uh game here in portland like how is it changed you know the way that they've looked and just kind of the mood or a the mood around the team because obviously you never want you know one of your best players arguably your best player to go down but it has fundamentally changed the way they play and not necessarily for the worse it
0: it has I think it's simplified things a little bit on both ends of the floor Um, trying to integrate Carl into being a power forward uh, you know at both ends of the floor has been I think a bit of a chore at times, and everybody was still trying to figure things out and I'm not saying this is an indictment on on Carl as a player individually um because I think it's not and you could just say, okay, Carl and Rudy, you know they're great players in and of their own, but together does it fit and I don't think that that's necessarily saying that it's an indictment on Towns or Rudy being bad right. You know? I think I think it could just be a bad fit overall. I'm not, and we'll see how that happens. We'll see how that meshes together when Carl eventually comes back here. But I think on offense, it's just it's simplified things. They're more they're more screen and roll oriented down with Rudy. Um, on defense, they're playing pretty much all you know a drop coverage, whereas they were trying to mix things up before. So they have kind of a consistency with what they do at each end of the floor that wasn't necessarily there early in the season. And I think you're kind of seeing on offense, guys like Ant and D'Lo and Rudy know that they have to step up their offensive game a little bit with Carl out. Whereas before, there was kind of a, is it my night? Is it your night? Right. Night is it tonight? You know, who's kind of a big man version of the
1: of the you know the first the LeBron Wade first year in Miami where they were trying to figure it out. It was like it was kind of like the big man version of that, which is kind of unusual with the current version of the NBA where so many teams are going smaller that it's two big men who are so ball dominant and who everything gets run through.
0: Right. And, and that's, that's what they were trying to figure out. And, and like with, with Ant and D'Lo, it's like, how do, how do they fit in there? Right. You know, on a given night, is it D'Lo's night to not really shoot much? Is it Ant's night to not shoot much, but now it's like everybody, the usage is, is there for everybody now. Um, so you, they don't have to really worry about, getting their shots or whatnot because with Carl out and with Kyle Anderson now in the starting lineup, who uh-huh. is a, a very unselfish player looks to create for others from the, from the four position kind of fits that pretty well that, you know, that mindset of, okay, let's get Rudy the ball. Let's get Ant the ball. Let's get Delo the ball in scoring position as best, as best we can. Um, so I think, I think you've seen that, especially in the offensive end, it's, it's clicked a little more,
1: uh, from that perspective i am a huge kyle anderson fan i okay. thought over the summer when they signed him every you know everybody was paying attention to the the rudy trade because that was like the big splashy move i thought that was one of the best signings of the summer i loved him in san antonio i loved him in memphis he was a guy i think the blazers might have looked at if they had the money to do it i think that was maybe something they talked about or kicked the tires on at, at, at one point and i just weren't able to you know pay as much money as other teams were but you just had a piece today on the star tribune about the fit between him and Gobert and how that's kind of evolved and developed and grown since cat has been out and everything has kind of been run through Rudy and really in a lot of ways uh, slow-mo is kind of like the perfect guy to have kind of in those sort of lineups
0: yeah he takes he takes a lot of pressure off of Russell to to always be the one initiating uh, the offense and I, I just noticed that he and, and Rudy, they they connect on what are seemingly kind of difficult passes in short spaces. They've been really good at that the last like two or three games or so. I thought they were really good at it on Saturday night, even though the Wolves lost. I thought they had some, some really nice sequences um, just with Kyle being able to get the ball to Rudy in a good position where all Rudy has to do is lay it in or dunk it. Um, so, and he said he was watching some film of Joe Ingles uh, trying to model his offensive game with Rudy half of how Joe Ingles did uh, in Utah. And and that seems to be working so far. And, but I do think that he's also freed things up for Russell to play a little more off the ball as well. And I think you've seen Russell's production go up in recent weeks as well. I think it's important that the Wolves don't always have the ball in Delo's hand. I think it allows him to be a little freer, um, to save a little bit of energy to, and just, and he can play pretty well off the ball. And I think that's been the, one of the keys to helping get him going is Kyle Anderson's ability to take some of that heat off of him.
1: Do you think they're going to be able? Because all the stuff you're talking about is all this stuff that seems like it's clicked into place and is working a lot better now with Cat right. out. He's not out for the season. He's going to be Correct. back in. What he's did they say? Back. What do they say 4 to 6 weeks. We're a week after the injury, so maybe like early to mid January, maybe we're talking about him returning maybe like sometime next month. At some point he's going to be back and they're going to have to work him back in and that's a pretty big, you know, piece and like a high usage guy to have to work back in. Do you see a way for that to eventually work and for them to be able to because like I know the snap take has been over the last couple of weeks oh the Wolves might just be better without Cat and everybody else is playing better without Cat that's really not a feasible long-term option for them going forward because they just signed him to a big extension they just traded a ton of picks for Gobert they're gonna have to try to make this thing work long term do you see a way that that's gonna be able to happen
0: that's the million dollar the multi-million dollar <laughs> question isn't it um, right so so what I think can happen over the next month is I think you can you can learn things about Rudy and playing with Rudy that works well for this team as a whole and when cat comes back can he integrate himself into what they have been doing well? I I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like because Cat is also a, an offensive entity unto himself as well. And he's, you know, obviously one of the best shooting big men of all time. The best, um, according to some people. Correct, right. <laughs> uh, the best, according to some. Um, and defensively, can he make that work? And that's and that's where this stretch of time is. Yeah, the Wolves are 3-2 are and two now since Carl went out, you know, but it's also just going to delay the process of, of everybody getting a good look to see if this is ultimately going to work. And, you know, it takes six weeks or however long it's going to take off of that development and, and that integration of of the roster and skill sets and trying to figure out what works best when the two of them are on the floor. So I don't know they, they did have a five game winning streak, um, when when Carl was in the lineup uh, and then they, they lost like three in a row or something like that uh, and, and some, had some pretty bad losses in that stretch. So they have shown that they can play some good basketball together. It's not like it's it, it's been all a disaster uh, when Carl has been on there. It's just the, the consistency of it and, you know, Carl, Carl was struggling to shoot as well. I wonder if when he comes back, is he going to you know, rebound back to his normal shooting form? Maybe that helps a little bit. But one, one other thing I'll say is some of the issues that this team had with Carl and, with Carl and Rudy were not necessarily because of Carl and Rudy playing together, and were just longer-standing issues that this team has had dating back to last season. One is rebounding. And they do not get the, the ample rebounding that they need from their guards. And they are near the bottom, again, in defensive rebounding percentage, which was their Achilles heel in that playoff series against Memphis when Brandon Clark was seemingly grabbing every offensive rebound in sight. Right. Um, that has not changed with this team. And that is something that I think they can improve and should improve regardless of what five guys are on the floor. If they can do that and maybe limit some of their turnovers, they're they're one of the worst teams when it comes to turnovers. Um, if they could just do those two things, I think they could look significantly better regardless of which five guys are playing on the floor. And that has nothing to do with how Towns or Gobert or very little to do with how Towns and Gobert fit
1: together. Because when they made the trade, it seemed on paper like they would be able to play together and it would be able to be a fit because Rudy offensively is such a, you know, get the ball around the basket type of guy and talent, Mm -hmm. you know, plays a lot more on the perimeter. So it's not like you have two bigs that kind of, you know, cancel each other out and, you know, jam each other up and are trying to play in the same place. So you would think that at some point it's going to be able to work, but you, you know, you're totally right. Some of the guys that they gave up in the Gobert trade, Everybody obviously talks about like what Patrick Beverly was in the locker room, but when you talk about the rebounding deficiency, Jared Vanderbilt is a guy to me that they really miss.
0: Yeah, yeah, they do, um, and they they also miss his ability to defend, right? As well, like he's you know he was guarding the other team's best score along with Jaden McDaniels um, a lot of times last season. Um, so you, you you put Gobert in you know, kind of that Vanderbilt slot in the starting lineup. So now Gobert is your, is your top rebounder, whereas Vanderbilt was your best rebounder a season ago. The other four guys around, you know, it's just, it just doesn't, hasn't worked, you know, D'Lo and McDaniels and Carl playing a new position is not quite in the same rebounding, you know, position that he is when he was a five. Right. So they need more from that, from that end of things. And they, they haven't gotten it on a consistent basis this season. And they miss that. They, they really do. They, they're missing that from their team. And until I think that's one of the biggest issues with this team, covering them on a day-to-day basis, quite frankly, is just rebound the basketball at a better rate. And I think a lot of their issues, uh, they'll be putting up some more wins and their issues won't look as big in other areas.
1: Where is Anthony Edwards right now, as far as his development, where like, like, is he, you know, obviously number one overall pick had, you know, a a couple of huge moments in that playoff series against Memphis. Seems like he's going to be like one of the next superstars. It hasn't quite happened yet. He's still very young. He's, you know, he was, he was very, very good the other night in the first game against the Blazers. Like where, where do you see him at right now, as far as, where they hoped he would be development wise versus, you know, where he might be in the future and, or any of that.
0: Yeah. It was a tough start to the season for him. Uh, pretty inconsistent. Um, he was having some trouble getting to the, getting to the rim and finishing, um, claim that the paint was being clogged up a lot. And maybe that is a product of having two bigs on the floor. Um, but lately since Carl has gone out, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Ants has played a lot better and he seems to be embracing the, the role of attacking the rim a lot more uh, in the last few weeks of the season. Whereas I felt like he, he often did it last season and earlier in the season because he felt like he had to do it. Now I feel like he, he wants to attack. I really got that feeling in that third quarter of the Portland game where Ant. Ant just wanted the ball and he wanted to go downhill and just go to the rim. Like I I really got that feeling from him last year where it's like, okay, last year's team, he was like, I'm the only guy that can kind of really take it to the hole here, so I have to do it. But I think playing with Rudy a little bit has has helped him, uh, you know, kind of with Rudy rolling and things like that. Rudy demands a lot of attention, um, more so than, say, Jared Vanderbilt did in, in the same role a season ago. So I think it's freed Ant up around the basket a little bit more. He's taking fewer threes this year, and he's taking more two-point points, uh, two point attempts. And as a whole, they're also down in three-point attempts overall, but up in their rim attempts this year. So he's kind of, he's kind of the, the pace setter for that. And I think he's more relished the role of the last two, three weeks than he did at, at any point in his
1: career and it's funny because he said himself early on in the season uh that he plays better when the lineups are smaller which is a pretty funny thing to say when your team just <laughs> traded everything for another big man like how like how do you think with him it's going to it's going to click once once towns is back and they're playing the two bigs again again
0: hard to tell you know cuz before he was complaining about you know the, the paint being clogged and like i said there was always this 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 weird, not, 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 I don't want to say tension, but like that always that dynamic of, well, the Popeye's thing was like also, (laughs) no, 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 not, not, not interpersonal dynamics, but just, but just on the court. Right. Like, like, like I said, like whose night is it going to be in terms of usage? Right. And I think ant kind of struggled with that a little bit. Um, I I think, I think personal, like there's no interpersonal dynamics, like between cat and ant or anything like that. That's, it was,
1: the Popeye's thing was, was a little an, bit That was just alone.
0: an awkward yeah, that yeah, was just an awkward moment. Um, which Carl is sometimes prone to in press conferences, but mm-hmm. it happens. Um so I, I, I you know that again, I come back to I just I hate to say I don't know, <laughs> but I don't it's know. okay to not know. I'm know, not <laughs> I don't know how Ant is going to I don't know how it's all gonna work when it when they when they all get back on the floor uh, in a month or two or whenever. Um, it's just hard to envision but like i said with ant becoming so effective and dominant attacking the basket maybe that is something that when they come back or when carl comes back it's like look we're having success with ant really leading us downhill carl can you play off of that how can we utilize carl and rudy to play off of that you know is is it carl as maybe more of a uh, you know, they don't want him to just be a spot-up shooter in the corner, right? They want Carl to just to be an active part of the offense. Um, so is Carl more of a secondary playmaker off of Ant initiating the attack? Can Carl find weight, gaps in the defense to come kind of downhill or backfill for Ant when he's driving to the basket that and, you know, he attracts a lot of attention? And how does that mix with Rudy? I I don't know. I don't know.
1: I'm so interested just big picture in the way that the Timberwolves organization is going. The last episode of the podcast that I did a week ago, right before the Blazers played the Nuggets, was with Adam Mares and we were talking a little bit about how organizationally and front office wise uh, things have changed over there, you know, culturally and also just philosophically with, you know, team building stuff. Since they, you know, Tim Connolly left and they replaced him with Calvin Booth, who had been in the organization for a while, we you're you're kind of on the other side of that with Tim Connolly getting a ton of money and equity and like that was a whole thing and taking over as front as the front office and that was like a big splash that A Rod and Mark Laurie and the, the the new ownership group was making and obviously he made a huge mark, the like a month after taking the job when he you know pushed all his chips in for the Rudy Gobert trade. What have you, you you've covered the team for a few years, so you were there for, you know, the old regime and, like, the last part of, like, the Tibbs years and then, you know, Gerson Rosas coming in and that falling apart yep. for whatever reason it fell apart for and then Tim Connolly coming in. Like, what have you noticed about, in the short time that you've had him, you've covered him and you've gotten to know him a little bit, just the philosophy that he has about, you know, team building kind of the way that he wants to do things versus some of the older regimes that you've covered?
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting um, to kind of pin a, a philosophy. Like, like with roses, the, the the philosophy was was pretty clear. It was like, look, we're going to shoot a lot of threes, and we're going to run, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And we're going to build around Carl, and we're going to get D'Lo, and we're going to build around that. Like that was the philosophy from the moment roses took the job. With with Connelly, you know, he he gets Gobert, you know, try basically. I think the if I had to kind of pinpoint an overarching philosophy, it was to just build on the foundation that was here. And Gobert was supposed to be the guy that kind of filled a lot of the gaps of what was missing from this team a season ago. It wasn't like trying to come in and re- reinvent the culture or the, or the team in Minnesota from the ground, which is what Rose's was trying to do after mm-hmm. the Tibbs years. Connolly, I think, is just trying to find the right talent to complement the rest of this roster. Try to find a way to develop Ant into the next superstar, and go from there and see what you got from there. Um, I, I've always thought it was a little bit ironic that that Connolly, you know, makes his name in Denver and builds such a, a great team and organization there off the back of some great drafting
1: uh-huh.
0: and he comes into Minnesota and like you said, within about a month of the job, he's traded how many first round picks like it's like five or six, uh, especially if you count the guys that were already drafted. Um, so I, I always thought it was kind of ironic that, you know, he, he built Denver up through the draft, but now here in Minnesota, it's like, all right, we're ready to push in now and we're going to mortgage a lot of draft capital to do so. So, I think I don't know that there's like I said one overarching a bunch of overarching flaws. I do know that he is very high on just high character guys and, and having you know good people in the locker room. That seems to be a theme um, with him throughout his throughout his career and something that he's preached here in Minnesota. Um, so if a guy is a bad fit from a personality standpoint with the organization or the locker room, you know they're probably not long for Minnesota um, or for or for the team that he's working for. So I think that's probably maybe one of the temples I would say that
1: that that exists. So do you think the decision to trade for Gobert was that out of like we want to play this way and we think that Gobert can uh, can you know do that, or was it really just uh whether it was him wanting to make a splash when he first took the job or? A-Rod wanting to make a splash with his first new, you know, GM hire. And it was just, this is the most, this is the best player that we could get in a trade. Like we, this is a big name, you know, we want to bring him in and we'll figure out the fit part later. We just want to bring in a lot of talent because Portland has kind of gone through not nearly to this degree because they didn't trade a million draft picks for like a three-time defensive player of the year, like Minnesota did. But with the front office changes that have taken place here over the past year or so, Joe Cronin's whole thing has been we just want to get as much talent in the door as possible and then we'll figure out how all the pieces fit and balance the roster out later. And that's why you, you know you've seen kind of they don't really have a lot of front court depth right now. They don't really have a lot of rim protection, but they've brought in just talented players whether it's like Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Justice Winslow, taking Shaden Sharp in the draft, and they're just kind of looking at it and seeing what they have while also still trying to be a playoff team and then making adjustments on the fly. So with Tim Connolly trading for Gobert. Was it just, this is the best player that we can get. Let's get him and figure out how it fits later. Or was it really just more from a standpoint of, we think he can fit well with Towns and Edwards for these reasons. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is why we're going to do this.
0: Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that to, to the move because, you know, they did talk in the wake of the move about, Hey, look, anytime a, a top 25 player in the NBA is available, and you know, you think that they can fit with your roster, like you gotta you gotta go for it. You gotta push the chips in. So I do think that there was an element of we have a chance to acquire a top level player, something that doesn't always happen in Minnesota. You know, that you right. have to take that into account as well. Like free agents aren't coming here on their own accord. Jimmy Butler's um, the last
1: one, and that was because right. he and Tibbs had a relationship from Chicago. Correct.
0: Yeah. And that was done via trade as well. You know, not, not right. in pre-agency or anything like that. So it doesn't happen often when you're in Minnesota um, top 25 player becomes available. And I, I feel like what, what you described going on in Portland is, is very much like how the NBA just is in general. It's like, let's get as many talented players on the floor as we can and just figure out later how it's going to fit. But let's, First and foremost, get the talent in the door. Get that high-level talent on the floor, and we'll figure it out as we go along. And I, maybe there was an element of that here in Minnesota. I, you know, obviously they had a lot of discussions about whether or not they should make this move and right. analyzing the fit. And if it was really if they thought it was going to be that disastrous of a fit, they probably obviously wouldn't made wouldn't have made the deal. Um, so there was always an element with Carl of, man, if, if we can just get a, a rim-protecting big to, to play alongside Carl, how great would that be? That that was something that, that, that this team had articulated before making the Gobert trade. And Gobert becomes available, and it's like, well, why don't we just go out and get the best rim-protecting big in this generation of basketball? <laughs> right. Um, so... <laughs> that was that was he his his becoming available did coincide with something that they had always wondered and wanted for towns was a a second person who could really help on the defensive end of the floor um it's just trying to make it all work that is the that is the problem
1: how on board was towns with the move. I mean, I from everything I've heard, and you would obviously know about these dynamics better than I would because you cover the team every day. but I have heard that he is not a guy, Carl, that is really involved in personnel decisions and is really like pushing behind the scenes like, oh, you got to get this guy, you got to get that guy. I know that trading for d'Angelo Russell was in part because those two are close, and that was something that they wanted to do to make him happy but in general i've kind of heard that he's not a guy that's always like really like putting giving his input on personnel moves and so did they like did they go to him before they made the trade especially you know you're a new gm coming and you don't have a long-standing relationship with the guy that's like your franchise player did they go to him and say hey we're thinking about doing this what do you think or did they just make the trade and then say you know we'll worry about how carl feels about it later or and then also just like how did he feel about it when it happened based on what you know
0: I mean the, the it was out there for you know a, a while the rumor mill was that you you know at least for maybe a week or so beforehand that this was something that they were considering um you know and maybe even longer than that so I I, I don't know to what level they had in depth conversations with with Carl before the move but I I'm not sure it was you know surprised and and just you know kind of sprung on him he did he he made the joke uh after the trade that or maybe it wasn't a joke, but that, that when he when somebody texted him and said we got Rudy or something like that, he thought they meant Rudy Gay. Um, Would have cost a not, whole lot not, less to not, get him and than.
1: Not, and not <laughs> he's Rudy not even Mokelo. playing for Utah yeah. at this point,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> so there there was that moment. So, but but it's it's not to say like he he didn't. It came out of completely out of left field for him. It, it didn't. Um, but yeah, I. Carl has often said that. We've asked him, you know, throughout the years about that subject about, you know, do you want to be involved? He's like, I don't want to. He said he didn't really want to be involved uh, with, you know, personnel decisions and trades, things like that. So it fits, it kind of fits with what he said publicly over the years. And, you know, obviously, if there was any opposition or, or hesitancy, it wasn't like vehement opposition, like, yeah, you can't do this or else I'm going to walk, you know, know, he's here, he's here. So I think there was was probably, you know, natural and Gobert admitted that he had to take a day or, you know, to to kind of think about it and think it through. And can this make, can can I make this work? Can we make this work together? And he ultimately came around to to the decision that, that he could. And, you know, I'm I'm sure Carl went through a,
1: a similar process. How has Rudy been as a locker room presence? Because those are, those are two very, very different, really three very different locker room personalities are your three main guys with Cat and Edwards and Gobert. Those are three guys who are not really just, you know, I haven't been around any of them a ton, but just very, very, very different personalities. Like on the interpersonal side off the court, how has that all been meshing so far?
0: Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be going okay. Um, Rudy on the floor, when you watch him on a nightly basis, um, he's he seems to be very demanding on the defensive end of the floor which i think is quite frankly something that this team could use it could Mm -hmm. use a, a, a voice on the floor and he certainly has the cachet with all of his defensive player of the year awards to to really say stuff on that end of the floor but you are coming into a new group you still have to earn the trust of that new group um and that you can get it done that that what you say will work um and, yeah, that, that your teammates can ultimately trust you. I think there were some, some issues on the offensive end early in the season because Rudy had some issues just catching the ball um, and guys trying to figure out where best to hit him with passes and things like that. Um, so I think that there were some, some issues. D'Lo had a crack earlier in the year of, you know, if he, if he catches the ball, he'll score. Um you know, and, and Rudy kind of answered it very well where it was like, look I have to have I have to get him to trust me. like that's on me to to get Delo to trust me, and I will, and I'll work at it, and we'll talk it through and and since then, it's been better. um so maybe they did talk through some issues. so I think it's I think he's been a, a good addition. He provides some leadership and accountability, um especially on the defensive end of the floor that was not always present with with this young group of of, of uh kind of guys who are trying to be high level players
1: yeah it's always interesting to me when there's like a trick because like last year you know they made the playoffs they look they you know out of the play and nobody really expected them to beat the clippers in that you know in that play-in game and get into the playoffs they did lose to memphis in the first round which people expected because memphis was a two seed and they you know they were a lot better team in the regular right. season but they won a couple games in that series, and they were a lot more competitive in that series than people expected. They should—they honestly should have won the series. They—they really—they really, they really <laughs> yeah, could have. There were a couple of those games that like could have gone either way. That you know they should—they should. They, you know, they, there was a very real argument that they probably should have won that series. But the point being, when you're a team like that, that's such a young team, and like none of these guys really have any real playoff experience—at least out of the main guys. Obviously, Patrick Beverly has been on some pretty good teams at other points in his career, but you have this group of young guys that has no idea, you know, how, you know, they hadn't been there before. And, and, you know, you want to take the next step and like you bring in you know, you, you completely change the roster. You bring in a guy like Rudy Gobert, who has been in deep playoff runs with the jazz and has made the playoffs most years in his career. You're completely changing. Like your not only your, you know, the culture and the, you know, the personalities and stuff, but the expectations, like once you make, that type of move, you don't make that move to maybe be a play in team or be like a six or seven seed Again, you make that move because you think you are, this is your window to contend like like how close. And obviously they've had some ups and downs and towns is hurt right now. How, where would you, where would you say that the wolves just overall, like, are they worried about like where they're at right now? Are they feeling good about where they're at right now? Are they still, you know, this is a work in progress? We have no idea how it's going to go. Like, like where, where, where would you, where would you say they, they kind of see themselves in this kind of mix of teams in the West right now?
0: I don't think they feel good about it, but I don't. They're not hitting the panic button okay. either. Um, so I think it's kind of that last option you said of like, look, this is still, we're still trying to figure it out, and now Carl's out for over a month. So, you know, how do we figure it out and buy time until he gets back? So it's, it's kind of somewhere in between feeling worried and feeling good, which is kind of blah, I guess we could say. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like they, well, but- they, do feel, they do feel like they should have won, you know, three, four, five more games. And if, that, if they do that, then, you know, where are they sitting in the Western Conference playoff picture? Easily could um, have won the
1: game in Portland the right, other night.
0: Right, exactly. And there are were, there were a lot of games like that. Uh, early in the season that they felt they let get away. So, you know, can they shore up some of those issues that cost them in those games? And um, I think they've been playing better of late, but it's still, you know, they're still not maximizing uh, their full potential and can't because Carl's not playing.
1: Well, the good news for them and, and this is kind of the same thing for Portland. This is something I've been saying lately is that they're kind of struggling and muddling and not really setting themselves apart, but like, Neither is anybody else Neither in the West the right West. now. Right, like, right. I, I, like there are like ten teams in the West right now. It's
0: a weird, it's a weird there's, landscape. It's of so weird. There's because right there's now. like
1: because yeah. in the East there's Milwaukee and Boston that are clearly the two best teams and there's a pretty big gap between them and everybody else. And you know that it's going to probably be one of those two teams that comes out of the out of the East. But in the West it's like mm-hmm. it's like there's probably ten teams, including both Portland and Minnesota. That talk that could very reasonably talk themselves right now into, you know, if we just get this guy healthy and we get the right matchup in the playoffs, we're, we're, yeah.
0: a, we're right. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're a <laughs> five game, you know, we're a five six game winning streak away from being the three seed or the yeah. four seed or whatever. Like, like that's where a lot of teams are right now, and it's who's actually going to make that move is is the big question. Um, nobody seems to really want to lay claim to just being a, an elite team in the West outside of a, of a few of a few folks at towards the top. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it's, if there was a year where they could kind of struggle through it, this was the year to do it where, you know, you're still very much in the mix 25 games into the season
1: of, of still being potentially a top four team in the West. What do you think of the Blazers, right? Because, I mean, I, I'm always curious whenever I have people on or talk to people who cover other teams, like, day in and day out and maybe have only seen the Blazers, you know, a few times. Like, last the, the other night was the first time these two teams have played each other, so this is obviously the first time you've seen them in person. But, like, I'm sure you're you're also watching other teams in the league, you know, here and there over the course of the season, and especially with these two teams being in the same division, it's probably a team that you've at least somewhat paid attention to and the version of them that you got the other night outside of Gary Payton, the second that was as healthy as they're probably going to be the rest of the season. So that was as close to full strength as you're going to get. So I'm kind of curious just from the complete outsider perspective, what your impressions have been of, of this team, the team that I cover.
0: I think that they just, they just pose a lot of issues with the backcourt, um, you know i i don't think i've seen the wolves struggle to guard but the wolves have had issues guarding the perimeter uh, mm-hmm. a lot this year they really struggled with that with with simons and willard the other night and to a degree where I, I i there were there were nights where it felt like the wolves just weren't trying hard enough or just didn't have the energy or effort I felt like they had even on the second night of a back-to-back, they had the requisite amount of intensity and effort to try and defend Willard and Simons. They just they couldn't do it. Was was my thing. So I, I it's just a matchup problem, and those guys pose a lot of issues. Um, and I think you know it, they make it they make it look easy, but but what they're doing right now and, and making it hard on the Wolves the other night was was kind of eye-opening to me, just kind of how those two are working off of each other.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see. Again, I don't want to do too much to go game preview stuff because this yeah. episode probably won't even be out by the time the next game is played, but I think this game is going to be a blowout in one direction or the other. I don't know which way it's going to go, but I don't think it's going to be close because these, 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 these baseball series games are always just weird. <laughs> yeah,
0: I got the vibe at Shootaround that the Wolves were kind of ticked at themselves for letting that one get Mm -hmm. away the other night. So uh, I don't know where it's going to go either. Um,
1: I think Portland also probably feels like they won, but they didn't play as well as they could have. I think. Right. Right.
0: The wolves feel the same way. So I, yeah, I, no feel, no feel for. I have, I just have no feel for this Wolves team in general. Like I don't know what they're what's going to happen on a on a nightly basis with them. That's that's one thing I've learned uh, covering this team specifically and just the Wolves in general the last few years is I I don't know with any certainty what kind of team is going to be on the floor and that's one of the inconsistencies of this of this team is which version of this team is going to show up um, and we'll see. It has gotten better of late, but they're still open to having a decent number of plunkers out there.
1: Where does this team rank for you? Because you've been on the beat. What is this, like your fourth, fifth season?
0: This be my. This is my fifth season covering the world, Right,
1: because yeah. your, fir, your first year on the beat, I remember because you and I were talking a lot at that point, your first year on the beat was Jimmy's, Jimmy's second year, Jimmy's which was the year that everything head. got blown up there (laughs) like where is which one where where does this rank on just like the weirdest because there's there's never been a normal timberwolves season because it's just (laughs) not a franchise that normal stuff happens to but like where does where does this what is the weirdest is 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 the jimmy thing still like the craziest thing you've ever covered or just like this or
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah the jimmy season was was one of the craziest sagas you know i've been a sports writer now for 13 years, 12 years, whatever it is. Uh-huh. Um and that was the craziest couple of weeks that I've ever really endured. And I that more so than of any of cuz you covered part some pretty it, good yeah. Blackhawks teams too yeah, back when we yeah. both lived part in Chicago. Of, part of that was I was just brand new to the beat and was just really trying to get my footing on it. Didn't know anybody yet. was right exactly. It was just like a disaster from a from just, you know, yeah you're just pulling your hair out every day over what was happening um so that was the strangest one for sure um i mean you know uh, last year was probably um the easiest drama free kind Mm -hmm. of season that they had um yeah winning winning does that right
1: especially (laughs) when nobody expected it
0: right right exactly expectations were low they win a lot of games, they get to the playoffs, everybody's generally happy throughout the course of the season. So that was the easiest season to cover. This one has just been a little off just because of just because of the expectations, right? It's it's just you're waiting to see if they're ever going to to get there. And it's an interesting dynamic as a reporter because With every loss, you know, the fan base, the the people on Twitter, the commenters on your article, everybody, everybody, everybody everybody wants to say the sky is falling, fire, everyone trade, everyone. fire, everybody, trade, everybody start from scratch again. Um, But as a reporter, you're always supposed to be more measured. Right. And so it's like, at what point do you as a reporter say it's not working anymore or it's not going to work, you know? as opposed to the fan you know it's how do you strike that balance as as a reporter and you know especially with Carl out we just don't have enough answers to really say for sure whether this trade was a good idea or a bad idea
1: well I liked it at the time and obviously it's going to work out or it's not going to work out but Mm -hmm. when they made the trade I mean I think a lot of people were you know, crushing them for it just because they gave up so many unprotected picks. But I said at the time and I wrote, and I, I think this is maybe, maybe the last or one of the last stories that I wrote for BR was I liked the move because I like it when teams just decide to take a swing and go all in. I liked the Cavs trade for uh, Donovan Mitchell for the same reason. And I know that, you know, that trade is working out a lot better so far for them than the Gobert trade is working out for yeah. the, for the Wolves. But, I like it when teams just say, you know what, screw it. We're going to go for it. We're going to try to, you know, it may work out. It may not, but we're going to actually just go for it instead of saying, well, you know, we want to build through the draft. We want to, like, there's, you know, I think there's, there's a, you know, there's value in doing that. But I like it when teams just say, you know what, we have, you know, we have Towns, we have Edwards. We want to get as high of a ceiling as we can. Let's just, let's just go for it. Do you have a benchmark for, you know, you said you can't really evaluate yet whether this team is good do you have, like for you personally as someone who follows the team and covers the team, do you have a time in the schedule or a benchmark or a number of games that you're going to be able to look at and say, you know, this is when I'm going to be able to say whether I think this team is good or not? Because for me with Portland, I've been saying since the schedule came out that if they're at 500 at Christmas, they're fine. So I have right. like basically another few weeks to go before that. And so Christmas is kind of the date that I've been circling where like, okay, now we've seen enough, now we can draw some conclusions. I realize with the Wolves it's a little bit tricky just because Towns has been out for so long and so you haven't really been able to see the full version, but do you have any kind of like idea of like, you can't draw any conclusions now, but do you know when you're going to be able to draw conclusions about them?
0: Originally in my mind, I had had the halfway point of the season marked off. So like mid-January? Uh, yeah, mid-January, but now that's going to shift because Carl's been out now, mm-hmm. so... You know, you give it another twenty games after he gets back to to because that's about where he where they were when he went out was about game Mm twenty. So give it another twenty games when he comes back because I don't think you have at that point you you want like by the time the last twenty games gets here or the last fifteen whatever it may be, you really want to be where you are as a team at that point in time um, and not still just trying to discover yourself as you head into the playoffs. So I am probably going to give it now until about game 60 or so, assuming he comes back around the halfway point of the season. Because And and this is just uh, experience from last year too. The Wolves didn't really become the the Wolves that they were until about mid-January last year. That was when they really started to to win games. They became the number one offense in the league from January onward. um, And that's when they really became who they were. So I, I kind of had a similar benchmark in my mind of about the halfway point in the season would be kind of where they where they, where I would evaluate them in my mind and going forward. So with Carl's injury, I'm willing to push that back a little bit. But by the time we get to uh, let's say early to mid March, they better be where they where they need to be.
1: Yeah, I would. I mean, I would hope so. Because yeah. that's like after yeah. the deadline, because then after that, I mean, right. they probably don't even have really any moves to make because they traded everything for.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll Go see Bear, at the but... deadline. But yeah, but obviously in terms of major, major moves uh, that are going to really impact your team for this year. Tough. I mean, we'll see why the trade landscape looks, but tough, right. it's tough to see that when you don't have uh, that the draft capital to make things happen
1: yeah well i'm gonna be very interested in uh and and again i know this is a blazers podcast but part of the reason why i like to have folks like you on is to get a check-in on some of these teams that are kind of gonna be in the mix with portland especially if they play in the same division are gonna be playing each other a bunch of times so i'm you know i'm very interested to see a how how You know, tonight goes differently from the other night, and then also they play again in I think early to mid January. I don't have a date in front of me, but in Minnesota they play, and then they play Mm -hmm. another time after that. So I'm gonna keep checking in. So Chris, I really appreciate you coming on with me. Chris, everybody can check Chris out. He covers the Timberwolves for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. He's been covering the team for a number of years. Does a great job. And on Twitter uh, at Christopher Hine, and a lot a lot of music tweets as well oh
0: yeah yeah it's listen you get what you get when
1: you follow me on. oh Twitter. yeah I, I, you had I, some you yeah. had some takes about the uh the playlist choices the other night
0: <laughs> <laughs> i did have a few takes as as an openly gay man on pride night i was like hmm these are interesting song choices. just
1: very basic yeah. like hey let's play ymc
0: let's play let's play ymca and let's play Katy perry firework yeah
1: <laughs> yeah Oh speaking of which you know what I this was not even on my list of things to ask you about but since that mm-hmm. just came up there was and you know there was obviously that whole story a couple weeks before training camp when Anthony there was a video of Anthony Edwards posting the video on yep. social media of him making some homophobic comments and you did a bunch of uh I listen. I read a lot of your coverage I listened to a lot of podcasts that You were on and what you were saying was that, you know, he's going to have to, besides just kind of an apology at a press conference or whatever and all that stuff that he did and the tweet and all that, there was other stuff he was going to have to do in order to really make amends for that with a lot of fans. So I'm actually just curious. It's literally just, I, honestly, I literally did not have this in my head to even ask you about, but it just like popped Mm -hmm. into my head right now because... That subject just came up. What kind of has that? A has it come up at all again since Media Day, or and but also like, have you gotten any kind of feedback on where he is in like doing stuff? Yeah, um, I'm 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 just curious about that a little bit. So the Wolves'
0: Pride Night is in a couple of weeks. It's early January. Okay. Um, and so I am planning on revisiting that in my coverage. Um, and maybe reaching back out to some of the people that I had spoken with after the video surfaced, like LGBTQ fans of the Mm -hmm. wolves. Um, and just kind of seeing gauging their reaction to, to how the team and how Ant has handled it. I, you know, I'm not quite sure I, I, I have to do a little more digging into if Ant has done something, obviously he hasn't like posted any videos or done anything, you know, outwardly public, um, you know, in terms of either working with organizations or anything like that, we haven't seen anything from him in that, in that respect, but, um, I'm going to see if there's been anything that's been going on, you know, with him behind the scenes and and we'll just, we'll just see what I find over the next couple of weeks and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) fair (laughs) fair enough.
1: Well, I'll be, I'll be very interested in that as well as the rest Mm -hmm. of your Timberwolves Mm -hmm. coverage. Again, you do a great job. Minneapolis star tribune, at, it's Christopher Hine on Twitter, right? Yep. Yeah. Full name. Yeah. Full
0: name. Yeah. There was a Chris Hine when I first signed up for Twitter, so I had to opt. for Was it a, anybody Christopher famous? Christopher Hine. No, I mean they're still on Twitter. That that person, I okay, think, whoever it is. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm Christopher at Christopher Hine for probably
1: eternity. All right. Well, I'll I'll see I'll see you in a couple hours at the arena. But thanks yep. again for doing this.
0: No problem. Anytime, Sean.